Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's speaking to the church in Colossae about the new life given to every believer in Jesus Christ. If you have called out to Jesus, if his spirit has provoked you, has come to you and convinced you of your sin, and you've cried out, Lord, I need a Savior, and you've put your faith in Jesus' sacrifice for you on the cross where he took your place. You are what you call born again. And you now have been given the life of Christ. You have new life. You're born again. Now how in the world do we now walk in that life? And Paul is constantly explaining who you are and now how we're to live because of that new reality. And so in chapter 2, verse 20 of Colossians, Paul reminds us, and also here in chapter 3, that we died with Christ to this world when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're dead to this world. And this means that we're no longer slaves of sin. Amen? Nor are we subject to the religious ceremonial laws of the old covenant that were shadows that pointed to Christ Jesus. Some of the things they were dealing with. Our old lives are gone, buried with Christ. And so no longer are we to be a people governed by sin. No longer are we to be people governed by the letter of the law. We are now people governed by the Spirit of God. I love that. And the Spirit of Christ who now lives in us, the resurrected power of Jesus Christ is what we're to live in now. It's a totally different paradigm. Flip over to Romans chapter 6 with me, verses 5 through 14. That's left. Right before 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Romans 6, 5 through 14. It speaks to this matter, really, is the definitive passage on this idea of no longer being alive to this world, but yet being alive with Christ. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Don't you like that part? If we have been identified in his death, then we're also going to be identified with his resurrection. And for those of you being baptized coming up, that's what this is. You're identifying that your old life is buried with Christ and your new life is now in him. And that's where you get all your power. That's where you get all the newness and all the joy and all the things that that, uh, the Lord has promised. The identity and, by the way, the suffering. But it says you're now united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self... How many of you have old man in there? We didn't didn't want to leave out the women. So old self. Uh. Way to go, NIVers. The old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This body 
is riddled with sin. I don't know about you, but I wake up and I want to follow the Lord, but my body wants to do other things. Anybody else? And you got, oh, what the heck? Come on. And Paul likens it to a dead man tied to you. It weighs you down. But it says in verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, and here's the the application, count yourselves or reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word count is 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 a... mathematical like uh, accounting term reckon it so believe it so if that's the reality if that's who you really believe you are if you have put your faith in Christ the reality is that you now are resurrected with him reckon it so so how many of you have struggled with addictions and lifestyles and all these types of things let me tell you be renewed in your mind in this area that you are now a new creation, Christ Jesus, and you reckon that old life, that old passion, that old sin life dead. How do you do it? The same way you came to Jesus through faith. You now have power over it. And the world, the enemy wants to tell you, no, you're the same person, even your own dumb body. But I tell you what, that's not truth. The truth is you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. But you got to count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let that happen. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. The law of God reveals that we are sinners. And when we see the perfect law of God, it, it brings out sin in us all the more. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is me. Does that make sense? Don't go past the speed limit. There's nothing wrong with the law. Now, we might argue that, but God's law is perfect. What it reveals is that I'm a speeder. And I violently want to oppose that 35 mile an hour limit in the city. Anyone else to just me? I'm broken. God's law says do not lie, do not murder, do not do all these things. And so we have this relationship that's breaking us down. But what we truly need is a new nature. A new nature that eliminates the desire to break the law. And what that is, is the new nature of Christ Jesus within us who allows us to be in a spirit-led relationship with God and we're no longer under the law, we're under the spirit. That's Romans. We'll get into that, okay? But it shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. That's the kind of the defining passage that kind of talks about that old life, new life. And so now back in Colossians verse 1, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things of God, not on the earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so if you are truly born again, if you are truly born again, our thinking should reflect it, and our actions will follow. It will. Because we now have the Spirit of Christ within us. And so when we violate what happens to the Spirit, guess who's going to be convicting us? 
the Holy Spirit's going to convict us. And we're going to be convicted in our hearts. And we're going to go, no, Lord, that's right. How many of you have said something about someone behind their back or whatever it might be? And then you walk away from that conversation. And then all of a sudden you just have this feeling in your heart. You're like, man, that was wrong. What is that? That's your Lord. That's saying, no, son, no, daughter. That's not the way we do things anymore. That's your old life. That's the old, the old man, the old woman. Let's walk according to the Spirit now. Amen? How do we need that? That's what we need to be ruled by, the Spirit of God within our hearts and our lives. I love that. We're now to live by faith in our hearts and minds. Our hearts and our minds are to be preoccupied. Paul says, put your minds on Jesus. That's where your life is. Where are our minds 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Where are they in? And so what do we act out? What do we think about? What do we look like? And that's Paul's point. So since we've been raised with Christ, put our minds on him, not on earthly things. So Paul in verse 5 through 17, he's going to tell us about what our old life looks like and now what our new life looks like. How many of you need that practically? I say, hey, live by the Spirit. And you go, okay. Well, that's the same thing with Paul, right? He's going, well, let me, let me define for you what is living according to the earth in your old ways and what is living by the Spirit. What is your new life? And so that's what he does here in the next 17 verses. That's what we're talking about today, okay? The things we're supposed to put off and things we're supposed to put on. Old man off, new life on. Put on Christ. And so... He starts there in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives a list of a few things here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We're to put to death or execute or mortify. How many of you have mortify? Oh, King James, there's a few of you. Okay, mortify the, the, the deeds of the flesh. This tells me that although we have been saved, we must reckon it so in our daily lives. Reckon it so. And this is where the Christian walk happens. This is the, our life until we come to Jesus. We've got to reckon the reality so. In other words, who we are now needs to be worked out in our lives. Our minds need to be renewed day by day as we focus upon Jesus. So positionally, we've been united with Christ. We're born again, amen? Positionally, we've been united with Christ in His death and His resurrection. Now that must be worked out practically in our practice. See, there's position and practice. Many of us say we're born again, but in our practice, it's never worked out. And Jesus goes, by, by the fruit, you're going to know what kind of tree that is. Amen? And so because we have the Spirit of Christ in us, we're no longer to be ruled by our earthly nature, our sin nature. And Paul lists a handful of ways in which our sin nature demonstrates its depravity. Here's the old life. Paul lists sexual immorality first. And usually because that's the main topic and all the things that follow it are connected to it. And that's the case here. So he says, it, it, uh, the word for sexual morality right here is the word pornea in Greek, which you guess is where we get our word pornography. Now, the idea of sexual morality includes any and every sexual behavior outside of marriage. That's kind of 
That's the idea behind it. It's not just one little thing. It's, it's the idea of sex outside of marriage or pornography or homosexuality and any other perversion of what God's designed for sex is, which is between man, one man, one woman in the, in the confines, in the, in the bond of marriage for life. So no matter what your proclivities are in these areas, as a born-again, spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ, we are to put to death any and all sexual immorality without exception. Period. Now, being a pastor and sharing these types of things, I, I tell you what God says, the standard, right? I can't sit here and candy coat it for you. I can't sit here and say, oh, well, we give grace to these kinds of people, but these people we don't give grace to. God just says, knock it all off. That is not who you are anymore. No matter what you were, if you struggled with homosexuality, if you struggled with pornography, you struggled with all that type of stuff, whatever it is. You know, I think it's kind of interesting within the culture of Christianity recently, and this is maybe I'm going to get people upset with me. Somehow we're supposed to have great compassion for the homosexual movement because people have been so harshly said there, uh, harshly against it, even in our culture. And we realize that one sin puts us all in hell, right? So I don't want to say that. But do we have that same compassion towards adulterers and pedophilers? Is there a sliding standard? Yeah. So we preach repentance with great grace and love. We'll talk about that, and Jude gets to it. Read Jude. Read the book of Jude. Just do that. It's good for you. The book of Jude is one chapter. You're like, I read a book of the Bible today. See, good job. <laughs> but he talks about this area because it affected the church, and that's why he lists it first. Do you think it's affecting our culture at all? Do you think it might affect the church, the things that we allow to slide in our lives and things that really just undermine the work of Christ in us? You know, I've taken a lot of hits because I've talked about this before, but it is permeates the church. You know, if it was stealing candy, then I would really be preaching on stealing candy. But it's not. And that's why he puts it first here. And it's that idea of any sexual behavior outside of marriage. Now, many of us came from different backgrounds. And some of us have sinned in the areas of pornography and homosexuality and some adultery in this room. And I would hope that, not that that is the case, that that you've been redeemed from that. Amen? These are the kind of people that God gets. Sinners. Chief here. Okay? I don't want to air my laundry, but, man, he saved me. Totally depraved person in the world and all that stuff. The good news is that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Do you like that word all? And I like the word the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And we're saved not only from the penalty of our actions and who we were, but we're also, we also now have the power over that stuff through the Holy Spirit. We have power now. We aren't ruled by it any longer. And part of becoming a Christian is waking up to the fact that I actually am no longer a slave to this. I'm no longer a slave. 
And when the Holy Spirit lets you know that, when he connects it to you, say, you are my daughter. You're my son. You're no longer under that bondage. That changes your world. And I remember there was a time when there was a transition when the Lord woke me up and there was a, you know, there was just kind of a, a great time in my life. And I remembered I'd, you know, hurt the Lord's heart early on. And it just convicted me like it never convicted me before. My heart broke. I said, man, I actually broken God's heart. And there was just a change. And, and I became a monk. I mean, I just said, I'm yours. And it was through that time of purity that God cleansed me and brought me my wife and tons of other things. And it was beautiful. You know, but you know the darkness once you're in the light. And you go dabble in darkness and it's like, yeah. It hurts. It hurts him. It's a person you're hurting now. Although it wasn't the beginning, but you're aware of it. So if you're a believer and you're sinning in, in this area, this is very serious in the Lord's eyes. And you must turn from it immediately. You've got to repent. That's what the word goes. Turn away from that. And, and here's the thing is we want to go, but I love that person. No, it, you, that's messed up. In sin, there might be something, but you need to pull away. You got to love the Lord before you, above all that stuff. Let Him clear that out. Let Him work the relationship situation out. Let Him figure all that stuff. You got to run from that, like Joseph. And the wonderful thing about being a part of a church is that you have people around you who were delivered out of the bondage of sexual sin. And the Lord has given them victory by grace, and they are here to help you to learn to put to death. That old way. Amen? Amen, church? So we don't want to be sin sniffers. We're not going to go around and find... But when it pops up, I tell you what, that's something that kills the church and it kills you. That's your old life. And we want to encourage you that the Lord have victory. So if someone walks in and they're struggling with what we assume something is very, you know, evil, you know, as a, as a Christian culture, we kind of put a judgment on We've got to be careful about that. But at the same time, the goal is always repentance, not acceptance. Right. Got to be careful with that. It's not just bringing them into an environment so they can continue to be who they are in a Christian environment and be deceived. It's, we want to be a cleansing environment for you, to walk alongside you, encourage you. So if that person's heart is moving towards the Lord, man, we're going to be gracious and kind and take our time and whatever the Lord has for it. But if they are just want to be who they are in the middle of what we're doing, see you later. How do you, how's that sit with you? Amen. It's kind of hard, huh? It's hard. But we're going to get into a little bit. And the wonderful thing about being in the church is we have people who have fallen, so we have grace in our hearts. Amen? We know what it's like to be under the bondage of slave, uh, the slavery of sin. And so we want to be humble and gentle and kind and long-suffering and all those things, and yet at the same time truth and love. And that, what, I'm, what I'm calling us to be is to be biblical and to be led by the Spirit. And so now I must say another thing. God created sex. I didn't know I was going to do the sex talk this morning. <laughs> but God created sex. People think, oh, you know, religion, blah, blah, blah. God designed sex. He gets credit. His idea, all him. What do you think about that? Pretty cool guy. 
It was his idea. And he has the perfect environment in which it's designed for. That is within marriage between one man and one woman. I have to say that these days. But God created sex for the married couple to enjoy and to express love and commitment and for the purpose of having kids and a lot of other things. But it's for married couples only. That is so stoic. That's so old-fashioned. That is so God. That's so from the beginning. I'm way old-fashioned. I'm Genesis old-fashioned. That's what God created it for. And outside of that, let me tell you, it is a hand grenade in your life and the lives of others. I don't know any Christian folks who walk with the Lord who said, oh yeah, I'm glad I experimented and was with all these people before I... You know, before I got married, and you talk to their spouse, they're like, oh yeah, I'm glad I got that other system. No, at the root of who you are, you're like, crud, I wish that had never happened. I don't want to ever have competed with anybody else. Amen? Amen. One man, one woman, go figure it out. And it's a glorious mess together. Praise the Lord. So God has a design and a purpose for sex that is found in biblical marriage. And let me say that just because you're married doesn't mean that there are not temptations. I would highly recommend married couples who have dealt with failure in this area to take it seriously and to seek the Lord for help. The elders and I, we're here to pray for you and to, and to point you to Jesus in these matters. We just want you to know there's other seasoned saints in this church. and There's, there's counselors in this valley who love the Lord. There's things going on. So don't feel that you're stuck. The Lord can help you. <clears throat> and I think it's also very important to point out that sexual morality is not just the physical act in God's eyes. And this is really important. Matthew 5, 8, here we go, says that adultery is committed in our hearts. And that is where God desires to rule us, you know? It starts in our hearts. That's the problem with it. So while sexual morality deals with physical acts, impurity, which is the next, next on Paul's list here, it deals with the thoughts. So how many of us like to just talk about the actions, but not the intent and where that sucker came from? Well, the Lord deals with the heart. And so Jesus in Mark 7, 20 through 23 says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Where do these things come from? They don't just all of a sudden come to you. They come from within. Paul says here in Colossians 3, verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So if you're born again, the Holy Spirit will be drawing your mind towards God. Did you know that? He's going to be drawing your mind towards God. You will have these strange desires to read your Bible. Any of you just had a weird desire to read your Bible? Like, I'm just saying, I remember early on, like, what is this strange desire to read this archaic book? As I came to the Lord, you know, I, I longed to do it. And then all of a sudden I realized if I dismissed it, that voice went away. The more I dismissed it, the more it went away. But the more I engaged it, the more I was drawn towards it. And, oh yeah, go hang out with some brothers and sisters. And you're like, you have this desire that just seems to be not from you to go um, over there and to hang out with believers. What's with that? Fellowship. The desire for fellowship. And you had that? And then you go, nah, I'd rather watch TV. And all of a sudden it goes away, goes away, goes away. There's a lot going on there. And so 
if you respond, your mind is going to be directed more and more on Christ. But if you instantly dismiss the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. Your mind will be focused on earthly things. And so where's your thought life, church? If it is not on Christ, where is it? And what flows from your heart when you're not fixed on Him? How do your actions follow? Amen? So put to death impurity by focusing on Christ Jesus. He's our hope. We put our eyes on Jesus. And so next thing, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Lust is the unrestrained sexual expressions Whereas evil desire is dealing with the unrestrained fallen thought life, those two things. And so Paul's basically teetering back and forth between actions and thoughts, actions and thoughts. And he's taking these different words and he's kind of just uh, bringing them into a deeper, he's kind of like funneling down, them down to the root cause. And the root of all this is greed, which is the next one. The word greed here seems to be the root of all other sins. Uh, greed comes from two phrases, to have, and the other word is more. To have more. That's what greed is. The desire to more. And to have more of what God does not want you to have. Anyone ever struggle with greed? Yeah. And then he says, which is what? Idolatry. Why is it idolatry? Because when I want what I want, and it's not what God wants, that becomes more important than God in my life. And that, as my friends, is an idol. And God says, have no other idols before me. No other idols before me. So how's your idol situation going? Are there things in your life that God wants you to put off that you will not put off, that you keep going after? I think we've all got some things. Amen? Do you agree? And so this is why Paul says those things, the greed, and all these things, sexual immorality is ultimately idolatry because you are taking your plan and your desires in place of what God has designed for you, which is best. For you, for you, by the way, and for his glory. And let me say, as someone who has failed in that area of my life early on, is that there is forgiveness at the cross. There's restoration. And by the way, there's victory. There's lots of victory. Amen? Amen. So, God saved us. And that's a very important thing. Paul says that's idolatry. We were once going to those actions, those sins, as a means of ultimate satisfaction, weren't we? Some of us. God saved us. We died to that life ruled by sin. And now God desires that you and I go to him to lead us into fulfillment in the right time and circumstances according to his will and his word. Which are the same. But so don't be fooled when you go back down that path either in your mind or in actions. It's rooted in greed and it's ultimately idolatry. And the reason you're falling is because your eyes and my eyes are not on Jesus. Put our eyes on heavenly things. Amen? So think about what aren't the heavenly things that you're allowing to influence your eyes and your minds and your hearts. And let the Spirit speak to you on those things. And repent. You know, God takes these things very seriously, church. Listen up. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 11-12. says, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. 
Paul's very serious about this. This is what scriptures say about that. Someone who says that they're brother and sister, and yet they are sexually immoral. And that idea behind it is that they continue in that lifestyle. It's a willful disobedience. It's not, Lord, help me. It's a, you know what? This is just who I am. Deal with it, church. Now, I thought we're supposed to be compassionate and long-suffering and stuff. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. But at the same time, there is a call to holiness in the body of Christ. This means that we're, we are to be a people turning from sin, not remaining in it. Amen? So yes, we gently and humbly restore our brothers or our sister who is stumbling. Absolutely. But some one who says that they're a believer and will not follow Christ and will not turn, Paul says to excommunicate them. This goes for parents and children and whoever claims to be a follower of Christ. Jesus said, I have come to bring a sword. And his sword is his word. So how serious is God about things? See, we think that we can continue on in things and the grace of God will cover us. And I'm telling you, he came to save us and to change us from the inside out. And let me tell you, I know that's not going to happen overnight. Okay? First of all, I do not want to say that you're going to be an instant perfect Christian. Remember, you are that person positionally. But now you spend the rest of your life being sanctified, being changed. Are you in the process of being changed is the question. But if you're not, you're going to infect the church. You're going to sin multiplies. Sin multiplies. And the only way you deal with sin is you crucify it. If you don't do it, we excommunicate. That's how it works. Obviously, there's a process there. Matthew 18. You know, real quickly, I just did my reading last night. Flip over to the book of Jude. Verse 22. says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. What a crazy verse. Do you see the, the holiness mixed with love in that verse? Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Yes. We're supposed to be compassionate and long-suffering stuff. At the same time, there's a call for holiness in the body of Christ. Right? This means that we're to be a people turning from sin, not remaining in it. And this goes for parents and children, whoever claims to be a follower of Christ, I'm telling you, serious about this stuff. Why such a serious line in the sand? Why, why is it serious, so serious? Why is he so hardcore about this? Why, isn't that unloving? Isn't that judgmental? Isn't it all those things? No, it's the most loving thing that we can do for the body and for that person. Everybody needs to be clear on this because of Colossians chapter 3, verse 6. What does it say? Because of these things, the what? 
the wrath of God is coming. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And so, you see, we used to be God's enemies. This is really important. We used to be God's enemies and our lives reflected it. We were dead and we were awaiting the wrath of God, right? First few verses in Ephesians, let me read it to you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You were under Satan's power and influence and sway and your flesh loved it. The spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Are you a son or a daughter of disobedience? All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest were by nature deserving wrath. We all did it. We were all a part of it. All the same nature, all going that way. Anyone who says they weren't is a liar. We're all guilty. We all flow down that road. Amen? But you see, that was our old life. And disobedience to God's spirit is what marked that old life. Disobedience. Unbelief. What marks the new life? Obedience to the voice of God, to the spirit of God. Ephesians 2.4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, when we were so like, whatever, God, he made us alive. He came after us. He sought us. Amen. It's by grace you have been saved. Yeah. Didn't deserve that. But he just loved me. He loved you. He came and he sought you out and found you. Saw you doing what you were doing. He goes, I'm saving you. And you go, thank you. Ha. Now, can I just go continue to do what I'm doing? Thanks for taking away the penalty. That's not the grace he's talking about. It's grace that he changes you from the inside out. He changes me. He saved us from the wrath. And our new lives are no longer marked by disobedience to the Spirit of God, but by now, obedience. Jesus says, this is how you show that you love me. You obey me. And this is my command that you love one another. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, which was self-centered. That's how we rolled. That was the way of our life, verse 7 says. You used to walk the way. Not anymore. I like what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says. Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men or women, right? Women with women. Neither thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that was what some of you were. Praise the Lord. Were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. It means you're set apart. You were justified. You were declared innocent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Amen. You're innocent. Praise the Lord. So now, verse 8, but now you must rid yourself also of all these such these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And so here's a new list. The first one was dealing with sexual morality. This is dealing with our mouths. Another way that God wants to give us new life is in our mouths. How many of us need new mouths? <laughs> Especially if you're a mouth in the body of Christ. Amen. So quickly, the first list was dealing with those things, and now, this, now he's dealing with our mouth. He's focused on what comes out of our mouths. And so spiritually dead people speak spiritually dead things. Spiritually dead things are anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. That's not how you live now. 
That's, that's the old way of doing things. Anger is this deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. In other words, it's, it's not just getting ticked. It's a way of life. Anybody met someone who's just smoldering anger? God saves people who are smolderingly angry. Did you know that? And guess what he wants to do with them? Flip it around. Make them overflowing with love. That's what God does. Amen? Our new nature should have new communication. If we've been raised with Christ, our hearts and our minds are on him, our actions should reflect that new way of life. So God says, don't, don't be, rid yourselves, put off anger. We need to put off that stuff. Uh, rage or wrath. This is a sudden fits of rage. The, loss, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Malice. This is the intent of doing bodily harm to other people. Slander. Saying things with the intent to harm others. Saying things with the intent to harm others. James says, uh, can both clean water and salt water come from the same spring? Is that possible? Can clean water and, and, uh, and, and salt water come from the same spring? He's saying, neither can you be born again and have filth coming out of your mouth. Makes sense? It doesn't work. In other words, clean that up, right? The Lord's cleaned you in it. So uh, think about a slander. You know, the word slander... The devil's name means slander. That's what devil means, slander, backbiter. That's not good. Think about the presidential elections. Have we been slandering people? Whose father does that? Dead people's unregenerate father, Satan. He's the one who's in charge of that stuff. We don't talk about people like that anymore. That's not how we do it. Pastor Matt's sermons, no slandering. I had to add that in there. Who's your daddy? That's what I wrote down in my notes. The devil's name means slander. Who's your daddy? Good, good note, man. So all these are to put off, are to be put off. And also verse 9, don't lie to each other since you've been taken off your old self, which is with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile, nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Jesus in John 8, 44, he says, he's speaking to the religious leaders of that day, and he told them that they were liars like their father Satan. Tell me, if someone just kind of had that kind of words around, you're a liar like your father Satan. You're like, whoa. Jesus was serious. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. That's where lies come from. And you are his child apart from being a child of the father. And that's where you learn it from. You see, although we were originally created in the image of God, we have taken on our fallen nature of Adam who fell in sin. But through Christ, the second Adam, that's 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 5, we are now given that new life. We are being renewed in knowledge through the word and by the spirit. And we're being fashioned in the image of our father. I'm going to stop there. And he says, therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Now, we just talked about everything we were supposed to get off. And how many of you feel quite convicted? <laughs> and like, Matt, we get off that stuff. <laughs> take, it, take it before the Spirit and say, Lord, this is how I've been. This is what's going on. And I want to clean it up. 
and be authentic about it around other Christians. Say, will you help me with this? And we are not going to step on you. If we do, well, you're going to get in trouble. We're going to help build each other up. People are asking for help. We help. Amen? And we identify with them. We go, oh, yeah, me too. Lord, help us. We, let's hold each other accountable in this area. Let's, let's, let's build each other up in the Lord. Amen? Because then what God wants to take away, put off, guess what? He wants to put on things. And that's what this whole next section is about, putting on all these wonderful things, your new life in Christ. I wanted to get there, but you know me. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, we, we are your chosen people. We've been set apart and we are dearly loved by you. And you've called us to a new life. And so help us to clothe ourselves with Christ. And as we fix our eyes on you, I pray that all the other junk would just fall away. As we fix our eyes on you, and as we're looking to you, Lord, and you start speaking to our hearts about certain things, just let us say, yeah, Lord, clean me up, help me. That's the old way. I want to walk in newness of life. And you will see, church, in time that God, our Father, will clean us up and help us and make us more like Jesus every day. So, Father, do that work in us. We're here. Our arms are open wide. Lord, you see right through us all the armor. So do it from the inside out, Lord, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen.